On episode 337 of the Tennis Files podcast, you'll learn how coaches can better work with sports parents with J.P. Nurbin. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the Tennis Files Podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mirban Iranshad. Hey there, and welcome to another episode of the show. Really happy to have you listening in. And today, as I mentioned, I'll be talking with JP Nurban, who is the co-host of the Coaching Culture Podcast. He is also the author of the Sports Parent Solution and the Culture System two great books that I'll be talking with him about, great concepts in those books. Um, JP is also a leadership coach, and he is the founder of TOC Culture Consulting, which is a leading global sports consulting and leadership coaching business. And JP's mission is to support leaders and their teams to achieve their full potential through one-to-one coaching, consulting, and community. And today we get into a lot of very useful topics, specifically dealing with coaches and sports parents. So we talk about building partnerships with parents, the conversations that coaches want to have with parents, uh, ways to create powerful moments for sports parents and their children, effective communication with parents in season, some steps to engage in hard conversations with parents, and also um, some team building related topics, player development plans, non-negotiables and co-creating standards. So a lot of really cool topics that I think um, you'll enjoy. So really excited to present this one to you. So without further ado, here is my interview with JP Nurbin. Hey everyone, welcome to this special um, podcast uh, episode with JP Nurbun. And um, JP, it's a pleasure to have you on. Um, you know, I've, as I've mentioned, you know, in the in the clip before this, uh, JP's got a really great background in terms of you know being a best-selling author and podcast host. And so it's really cool to talk to you today, JP, about really how you know coaches can better interact with with sports parents and you know just have a, a better relationship with them and, and foster, you know, success for the kids and also the parents as well. And we'll get into a lot of other topics too, um, you know, building culture within a team and so forth. But yeah, JP, um, thanks for coming on. And uh, how are you doing? Doing good, man. I appreciate the opportunity. This is, is going to be a fun conversation and I haven't spoken much in the tennis world. So this is exciting for me. Yeah, exciting for me too. It's definitely a topic that we haven't really covered that much, especially in depth, you know, maybe here and there. But <laughs> when I was reading the, uh, you know, your, your book, which definitely been enjoying that, I did see some crazy stories in there <laughs> with the sports parents. And as you mentioned, you know, you can just Google them and find a bunch out. And yeah, I just want to ask you first off, like what was me? And I think I know this one, but what was your like maybe most impactful negative experience with a parent? And then maybe how did that turn out the way you didn't expect <laughs> at the end? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I've I've had some wild ones as as a lot of coaches have at, at, over the years. I've had some drunken voicemails and stuff like that <laughs> over the years. But by by far, one of the most uh, difficult ones was when a father of a player who I'd coached for five years knew the father well. Um, you know, I was leaving the gym one day, and the father was driving his car, and he saw me, and he drove his car right in front of me, and nearly ran me off the road and he got out of his car and he laid into me all because I had sat his son out of practice for being late, which was standing our program that was well-established and well-respected and agreed to. And the father just laid into me, told me I was crazy, told me I was fake. He couldn't wait till I left. Told me to essentially get out of town type of attitude, you know, (laughs) just like we're done with you. And we, we were in the middle of a losing season, one of probably the worst losing seasons I ever had as a coach. I haven't had many of them in my career, but it was a tough one. This father just kind of laid into me and it really hurt because I 
respected this father. I thought we had a relationship. So I think that's one of the hard things about some of these things and sports are emotional and, but they also involve people and relationships and things like that. So it gets tough. So it's a real low point for me, but the most amazing thing was that, you know, five years later, that father texted me out of the blue, never apologized prior to that. And he didn't really apologize this day, but he just said, Hey, coach Nurban just want to let you know, anytime you're, Sports come up with my friends. I always say Coach Nurban was the best coach my son ever had. Not only did he help my son become a better man, he helped me become a better father. And um, he said just through my own example and the way that I held his son accountable and was respectful to his son and tough on his son, helped him uh, you know, be a better dad. And it was just really amazing to hear that. And it was enlightening. I, I knew that pa- sports parents were important, that coaches built relationships with them and work with them because they're the most influential person in the athlete's life. So if we really want to help athletes and do a good job of coaching athletes, then we need to work with the parents. But never, never in my life did I imagine that I was actually having an impact on the parents. Yeah, definitely. I think I remember you mentioning in the the book that you, like after that call, you kind of wished that you had even, you know, done more in terms of like the sports parent, you know, like interactions and stuff. So, I mean, what are some of those things that you, uh, you know, you would, if you could, you know, do it over from the previous period that you were coaching that you would do? I think the first is just getting to know parents, getting to know them by their names, not just Johnny or Jane's father or mother, getting to know their names. It doesn't necessarily, you know, it could be before practices, after practices, there's many different events or experiences I talk about in the book that you organize that help you to get to know the parents. But I think if you're attending you know, uh, sporting events, sometimes it's out of season for your team, if you're a high school coach, um, or other functions, just going up, talking to them, developing a personal connection with them outside of them being a sports parent and showing them that you're not just a coach, you're a father, a mother, you know, uh, and that you have interest outside of the sport itself. And so trying to find things that you share in general, I think that just that personal connection is is would be the foundation. That's where I would start is just building that more of that personal connection because I know that when I've built that personal connection, more often than not, parents are willing to give me a little bit more grace for the times that I fall short as a coach. Right, right. So like, I guess what types of questions would you ask them? You know, just like, what are your goals for your kid? And like, what do you want? Like, I mean, what other questions do you suggest maybe that parents ask or that coaches ask the parents? <laughs> Yeah, I think especially like if you're in the recruitment process, if you're a college coach or you're a high school coach, you know, and, and you're trying to bring or a club coach, you're trying to bring athletes um, to work with them, a trainer, you know, I would really want to say, ask first off, you know, what are the reasons they want them to play this sport? What's that journey been like for them mm. as they've moved through the sport? What have been the what has been examples of great coaching that they've seen? What are examples of coaching that they haven't hasn't resonated with their son or daughter? So you're kind of going to really unpack what their sporting experience is, but I'd also want to know about the person. And um, outside of the sport, what do you enjoy the most, or what are you most proud of, or appreciate the most about your child? What are your greatest concerns for your child in the next few years, next five years, next three years, and? I think those types of questions really start to touch on more of the personal element. I think when you also just focus the conversation off, off of the, uh, the, the child and go to more, Hey, what's, what's been your experience as a sports parent, which was your experience as an athlete, just also getting to know about other family members, other things that are going on in their life. You know, I think sometimes it's just trying to find an old connection outside of the sport. Like you you support the same sports team or you're from, the same part of the country, you know, something like that too can be pretty, pretty powerful. Yeah, that's, that's great stuff. Um, JP, you know, it mentioned that parents sometimes have their own identity wrapped in the, in their kids' performance. So, and that's obvious. Yeah, that happens a lot. So, I mean, what do you, what do you do about that? <laughs> I think first off, we got to check ourselves as coaches too. I mean, I think as coaches or athletes, we can get our identity tied to our own performance. And then I also think like, I mean, I'm a coach, but I'm also a parent and man, you know, it's, it's, it's very easy to like, there's enjoying 
my kids' success. And then there's really connecting my own performance as a parent to my own kids' success, right? And I think there's so much good information out there that help parents to be better sports parents, to be better parents in general, and how we can support our kids, that we take that good information, we act on that, we support them, we do all the things we need to do, and then we're part of that equation, that performance equation, right? So it's very easy for that to be for that to creep in, as well as you throw on social media on top of mm-hmm. it, right? So parents talk about my kid's success, my kid, you know, and you start to compare more rankings, more publicity around our kids' success or failures. You're starting to see that, and then more is at stake. You know, college scholarships are on the line, rankings, those types of things. So there's a lot that's pushing parents, all of us as parents, to be this place where we associate our kids' performance with, you know, our own parenting, our own value and self-worth as a parent. And I think as a, so we got to first work on ourselves as parents, you know, and coaches, because we, we, we share those responsibilities. And that is really to focus around what's really going to matter five, 10, you know, 20, 20 years. What are our greatest hopes for our kids? And it really is to kind of come back to, the idea of the people they're becoming, I think is the most important thing, you know, the memories they're making. And, you know, that, that those are the two big things that I think are the most important, you know, the people they are becoming the memories they're making that experience. Right. And yes, winning success, ranking scholarships, those things matter, but we got to get back to what's most important. So if we can do that as a coach and a parent ourselves, we can model it for other parents and our, you know, in that example. And then I think it's coming back to some of those questions that we ask them, just even those simple questions around what's most, your biggest concern, what's your greatest aspirations for your child? You know, what are your, you know, what are your fears? So those types of questions help to start to shift that perspective to what's most important. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and six one since that matters. And What do I even say other than, hey? (sighs) Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Yeah, a lot of great questions there. And, um, you know, in in particular, you you know, like you mentioned, there's more, a lot of more important things than just like winning, you know, it's like kind of short-term thing, you, you know, winning in the right at that moment versus, you know, giving the kids like a life lessons that they'll take with them for their entire career, you know, whether it's like related to hard work, discipline, you know, ethics, things like that. So yeah, it's very tempting, you know, to try to, I guess, please people or get the the short-term result, but definitely you're doing a disservice um, to the kids there if you, if you don't kind of focus on, on the, what's best for them in the long term. And yeah, I, regarding like the identity stuff, like I talk about that sometimes like with, with tennis players, obviously applies to all, all sports people and, and whatnot, but just like uh, a lot of us, you know, we're so tied into tennis, for example, that like, if we lose a match, we feel like we as a person are a failure or something like that, but it's not just about, you know, just a tennis match. You've got a lot of other aspects um, that you can, you know, look forward to and things like that. Go- going back a little bit to building partnerships with, with uh, parents, like, I guess, you know, in hearing, you know, what your, what your advice was, maybe some coaches might think to themselves, like, I don't have you know, enough time to, to do that. Like there's all so many players, like let's say on the basketball team or a soccer team or something like that. So like, well, what's your response to maybe the, any pushback regarding uh, building relationships and the time investment needed? I mean, I think every context is different. So I want to say you do have time. You're just going to make the time. I mean, maybe you do have the time. I, I think sometimes we end up spending so many problems downstream battling issues. And if we made more time upstream, we'd have less problems downstream. So th- that's maybe one, one pushback I'd offer. I'd offer it lightly, you know, that may not be the case, you know? So that's one thing. I think the other thing is to recognize that you may not have time to have these one-on-one conversations with athletes, parents, every athlete's parent, do the parent athlete coach conference, which is something I talk about in my book, but um, we're at a parent experience event, whether it's tennis or 
or, or swimming or basketball or soccer. One of the, my favorite things is to bring parents into a practice and allow them to participate. And maybe the kids are coaching their mm-hmm. parents. Maybe there's some competition. Mm-hmm. You get, they get some coaching from you. They get to really experience what a practice might be like for you as a coach. Mm. It's a lot of fun. And there's a lot of just natural collisions and connections and relationships. And I did this for my daughter's football team. I, I live in Ireland. We play, they play Gaelic football, which many people probably haven't heard of, but it's like a mix mm. between rugby and, and soccer. But, um, cool. you, you know, we, we did that for under our, our under eights team and man, it was so much fun. I, I'm just the assistant coach, but I ran, ran the parent practice and I got to know a few parents that I hadn't, I'd seen plenty of times, but I hadn't had that, maybe that conversation to get to know them yet. And, so we're out there playing on the same team against these other group of parents and I got to learn their names and, you know, we're out there sweating together, running around and man, it was fun just to just be able to connect with them afterwards and share a meal together. You know, have a cup, you know, a cup of tea and some biscuits there in, in Ireland is the way we go and do it here. But, you know, it might be a barbecue, it might be pizza in America or wherever you're at, you know, it just depends. But, you know, just trying to create an experience where you can just do bring them together and then maybe you have that parent meeting. And you could, you could ask a lot of those same questions I shared earlier. Um, you could ask them those questions, that parent meeting as well. And maybe they put them on a note card or a Google form, but you're just trying to really kind of get people to articulate, you know, what's, what's on their heart, what's on their mind, what are their challenges? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I remember when I played college tennis at uh, UMBC, you know, we had quite a few players who were foreign. So like they're, Parents, I don't think maybe they made it there once or twice, but like if the parents are like overseas, I mean, any suggestions like maybe like Zoom call or something like that? Yeah, there's some interesting. I think really when the parents do come over, like you really want to dive in to make that a parent weekend. Though Anson Dorrance, the UNC women's soccer coach, he always says every weekend's parents weekend. So if a parent comes into town, you just really lay out the roll out the red carpet and really try to make them let them be a part of maybe some different team stuff, you know, whether it's a team meal or film sessions. Um, I think also what, what we've seen is that, you know, I tell the story of one college basketball coach in the States who runs a father son retreat every year. It's a really critical piece to their culture building. And um, what I love there is actually get like, if the parents can't come internationally, they find a, a mentor in the community that will mentor them throughout the year, whether they're a business owner, local business owner, alumnus or something like that. They try to bring them into that experience. So, you know, it just, just kind of depends on your context, of what you can do, but sometimes it's trying to uh, bring somebody in. I know even, you know, Anson Dorrance, I remember him telling me like, sometimes they have certain mothers and fathers that are always around and they try to get those people to maybe look after a few of the players that don't have parents that can't maybe make it as too much to games and, and try to be that, that fill in parent for those individuals as well. Yeah, good stuff, JP. So in the book, uh, this, The Sports Parent Solution, you mentioned that in many cases, parents actively work against the team culture that coaches are trying to build, discrediting their messages and lessons. So I was wondering, um, what are maybe some examples of this? And then like, how do you, I didn't want to say combat, but you know, like handle the, the, that situation. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, one of the biggest things is the parents in, in, on a, on a club team, a sports team, they will oftentimes just are all focuses only on their child, right? And it's not about the team. Yeah. So that's in a team setting. You see that where they only see it through the perspective of what's best for my kid. And the coach is balancing what's best for the team, right? And what's best for the, each individual. And it's a both the, and what's best for each individual. But at the end of the day, their, their, their job's reliant on what's best for the team. So you see that in more individualistic sports, you know, where coaches are not necessarily coaching teams, you, you can still see that parents feel like their child should have the preferential treatment, you know, like that the other kids don't even exist. And this coach doesn't have any of their time. <laughs> so you see that uh, as well as a lack of commitment to the process that the coach might be following, right? So. I think that's another way coaches see resistance is the coach has this long-term plan. They're going to scaffold the teaching, the instruction, the lessons, the work that they're trying to do. And when things don't necessarily work out well, the results aren't what maybe the parents wanted right away. They can maybe be in that kid's ear to discredit that. 
there are other simple ways are just parents work against it because the maybe you have a coach that's really working to help an athlete to manage pressure, not have their identity and their self-worth tied up in their performance. Yet every time the game finishes, the parents ripping their kid or they're in the car really getting on them about certain things and the car ride home. So those things can really work against maybe the environment that they're trying to create where people are, you know, safe to fail and stuff. So I think there's a lot of different examples uh, that as well as just parents being poor, poor, poor behavior at matches, you know, with their own, you know, antics in the stands. Right. I think when it comes to solutions, um, everything, really meaningful happens by way of a relationship. So I'll go back to the relationship bit, but I think some of the powerful things that I've done, I'll just give you one of many that I share in my book is just co-creating parent standards. So Mm. if you have a parent meeting or, you know, you're in a club or whatever it is, bringing parents together at the early part of the year, you know, one question you can ask them is just, Hey, what can we do as parents to help, make this a great experience for our kids and then get parents to break off, discuss in groups and come up with three or four suggestions each, bring them together. They'll all be very much the same, but take those and compile those and craft those into your parents' standards for the program. This is how we do things. This is how we show up, you know, for our kids. And I think that that alone starts to get clarity around how we, we can be more positive sports parents. Nice. And what are maybe some examples that you've like collated from those types of meetings in terms of the parent standards? Yeah. So a lot of them can be very like positive, but very vague, like, oh, be encouraging, support the coach, those types of things. Mm-hmm. And you get a lot of the same things. Where I really like is to try to get for a little depth. And one of my favorites is it came about, about three years ago when I was doing a parent workshop for a team that I support. And the one parent at the workshop said, you know, one thing that I see Johnny's dad do really well is after every match, he goes up to other kids and he says at least to one other kid, like, hey, you you know, congratulates them and tells them something they did well. He says, I know this because my son told me about this. And he said that it was really impactful for him. You know, Johnny's dad to come over and say, hey, you did this really well. And it really stuck with him. So he brought that up at this workshop I was running and they made that a parent standard. Actually went back and did another parent workshop these years later. All those parents had moved on, but the tradition had remained. The standard had remained. They brought it up again. Mm-hmm. They say, here at this school, we go up and we thank or we appreciate or we offer some sort of affirmation for another kid before we can go talk to our own kid after a match. And so that's probably one of my favorites. Yeah. I really love that technique because, you know, now that the parents have, you know, met and agreed to the standards, like you, you know, you have to really adhere to them. And like, if you don't, it's like, you're making a fool of yourself, you know? So like some of those issues that, you know, the the parents are just acting out on, like they would just think like, oh shoot, we have the standard, you know, in most cases anyway, that they would respect them. So JP, um, you know, I know this might be like tough to talk about, but you did mention, you know, some sort of trauma from uh, an abusive coach and, you know, how you healed from that. So I was wondering if maybe you didn't mind to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I, I I had a very emotionally and mentally kind of abusive, like a bully coach, as mm. uh, the author Joe Ehrman in his uh, book Inside Out Coaching talks about. Just bully coach mm. in high school, and that was a that was a really tough time in my life. My basketball was my sport, and I wanted to play college basketball. It was my dream. I was super committed, uh, very hardworking. A little emotional as an athlete, you know, and um, sure. yeah, you know, I struggled with ADHD as a young as a young man as well too. But our coach was notorious for uh, his sideline behavior, and mm. he was not notorious enough until the later end of his career, where they removed him from coach because of his behavior in the locker rooms. He was really bad in the sidelines, but he was really, really, really bad in the locker room, where he would get in our face and just really berate us and lay into me. And he had a few players in particular that he would really work over the course of a, not just one halftime, but over the course of an entire season. My sophomore and junior in high school, 
I was particularly targeted uh, by my by the head coach, and it really got to a point where it did break me. And my parents put me into counseling and therapy to kind of work through some of that stuff there because, you know, you you start to get to the point where not only is basketball not enjoyable, but you start to not only question, is it worth it and you want to quit, but especially when basketball is so important to you, like, or your sport's so important to you, you know, not. Not necessarily nice. It wasn't about the success that I was wasn't having because I was having some success, but it just starts to question your own self worth as a human being. And so you you know you, certain points where I started to contemplate suicide, and luckily I had some support around me from my family and from other people in the community. That that you know the amazing you know the hard thing about that is it wasn't just a tough few years there as an athlete but it lingered, you know, and and it lingers in different ways as you move on in life and the way that you handle difficulty, the way that you handle adversity. And now as a parent, and then you want to be a coach and you start to have these like default ways of responding that are very much based upon what's been modeled for you. And um, so there's, there's some things there as far as my own behavior and the ways that I would respond as a coach that, they weren't the same, but they there there was some definitely resemblance of my previous coach. But also, you start to close yourself off emotionally to pain and things like that. So, you know, therapy has been something I've kind of done on and off for for the different points in my life, and I definitely did it as as I stepped into parenting, just because I, I recognize that there are certain areas where I had kind of closed off, and I needed to do some healing uh, from some of those that that pain to move on because. I look at my life, the two most influential men in my life, number one was my dad, not a perfect man by any means, but, but a good man. And um, number two was my high school basketball coach. And that was four years of, of hell, really, you know, to, to go through that where every day, nothing ever kind was ever said to you. You were just torn down and told that you were dirt, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So are you went through that? It's um very very tough situation um but i'm glad you you know came out stronger for it and learned a lot of lessons from it as well i mean actually what is maybe like the the biggest lesson you learned from that experience i've learned how to uh forgive you know i think at the end of the day and and that starts with self-compassion or when we we fail i i don't think my coach i know my coach didn't intend to have that type of impact mm. hurt people hurt people and yeah. you know unless they heal from that pain. And so what it taught for me is first off self have self-compassion for moments where I screw up or I'm not perfect. And then that also have compassion for others. I don't know what happened to him in his life that made him the way that he was as a, that bully. I don't know. And I probably will never know, but I can still have compassion because I know something happened in there that, that helped or led him to be the way that he was. So um, that's probably the biggest thing I've learned. Yeah. Good stuff, JP. Thanks for that. And, um, so our audience loves, uh, you know, step-by-step solutions and things that blueprints that they can follow. So I was wondering if you could give us, you know, a, maybe a, a step-by-step solution to engage in hard conversations with parents. Cause that's very intimidating. And that's something like for me, I'm, uh, I don't like conflict. <laughs> so you know, it'd be kind of tough to do, but it's something that you have to do, uh, obviously. So yeah, if you can give us maybe, you know, the steps for, for engaging in those hard conversations with parents. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not, maybe I'm, I don't know why, but I guess I'm not surprised tennis, tennis coaches and parents and would prefer the step-by-step, maybe it's something with the sport, but well, you know, I think before you, you go into the steps, you got to remember like what, what, the purpose of this conversation and why is this conversation happening? So oftentimes you might, as a coach, might need to call a conversation with a parent because you're observing certain things that are of concern. Maybe it's the concern of their child that you want to have the conversation with them about. In many cases, I would want the child to be in that conversation. Other times you're going to have a conversation because you've observed certain things in their parenting that you might say, hey, this is really hurting this young person or it's hurting this athlete. So it could be hurting them off the off the court. It could be hurting them on the court. And um, so you need to just share those observations. 
or maybe you're hearing that the parents really tearing you down, toxic, bad mouthing you, those types of things. So you might call the meeting or the parent might call the meeting. Sometimes the parent might have an issue around your coaching, decisions you're making, measure of discipline that you're enforcing. So, okay, you come into this conversation. Those are some various ways that you might be having a difficult conversation. The first thing that I always say is to really just ask questions, get curious. Step one, ask questions, get curious. What's going on for you? If it's if you've called the meeting, obviously you're going to say, hey, I've observed this. Just share the facts, what I've observed, and then ask the question. What do you what comes up for you when I share that for that with you? What do you what are you noticing? What's true about that for you? These are questions for you to share. But once again, you share your observation. Hey, I've heard this, I've seen this, I'm noticing this. What's true about you? So it starts with a curiosity. Secondly, you know, before you well, before you go to step two, which is share your perspective, make sure you summarize what they've shared with you. Make sure you reflect back. Okay, so what I'm hearing is this. You're, you're upset about this. Your concerns are this, this, this. People just want to feel heard. I've had coaches do this process. They never get past step one because they do this. They ask great questions. The parent just goes, you know what? I'm, I literally had a mother say this in a conversation with coach. Coach, I'm sorry. I'm so embarrassed. I don't even know why I came to you about this. This is this is my issue, not your issue, mm. right? You know. So just listen. Step two, I would say, is to share your perspective, but you know, really go into what what your perspective is on the situation. But separate your assessments from from your observations, like the facts, facts from assessments. So what are the facts? Share those, and then also say now. My assessment is this, right? My my take on that is this. Could be wrong, you know? And so it could be why a player's not playing the first spot or wherever it is in the lineup, the, you know, mm-hmm. um, whatever it is. But just, hey, this is what we know to be true about the athlete. They're late. They don't do this. Their, their percentages are here or here or here. And this is our assessment. But just separate them and share them. And, and that way, you know, and, but and when you share those assessments, when we share them as that, Hey, this is just my take could be wrong, but it, it makes people less combative and defensive. And then the last thing is, is like, Hey, it's about, it's about partnership. So it's, Hey, you know, reality is like the roles are going to change. The consequences are going to change or whatever this, my decision may not change. But what can we do to better support your child, your son, or your daughter in this situation? So maybe their spot in the lineup doesn't change, the consequence doesn't change, whatever. But we can still do more to support them in that. And so that's what we're asking about there. And, and so that's step one, get curious, ask questions. Step two, share your perspective as well as you know, the facts and the assessments. Separate the two of those. And lastly, partner together. What can we do? to support your son or daughter in this, in this circumstance. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. That's great. Appreciate that uh, three-step process. And like, I guess regarding the third one, I mean, what are some examples maybe that you've come up with with the parent in terms of like what 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 types of things can be done to support the athletes that are being coached? Yeah, so a lot of, when it comes to certain things that my clients have done in the past in this, it could be, hey, we're going to check with them on a weekly basis. It could be, we're going to work to provide a little more opportunities for them after practice. We're going to do a better job of coaching them in practice. Sometimes, you know, we do recognize that, okay, the, the spot in the lineup may not change, but we haven't done a good job of coaching them up. It could be, we're going to spend more time 
affirming what they're doing well, find ways to appreciate them, check-ins, those types of things. So a lot of it is comes down to we're going to invest a little more time in that athlete, right? And and that would be kind of one of the big things is just finding ways to invest more time, finding ways to better appreciate those individuals would be another thing. Things that the parents can do, right, varies by situation that they might agree to. They could might agree to just be more of a positive uh, voice in the car ride home, asking more questions around what their experience was, just giving that athlete more space. So it's kind of a joint thing. Like, hey, what can we do in this situation to help that athlete? Gotcha, gotcha. Um, and kind of a pretty positive question here for you is, what are some ways that we can create like really powerful moments for sports parents and their children? I think this will definitely be, you know, really joyful, <laughs> you know, if we can do this. So what are some ways there? Yeah, that my, I have a bunch outlined in the book that I love for people to see. One of my favorites is the Parent Appreciation Week. And so we do this with a lot of teams where we give the athletes a list of questions to sit down and interview one of their parents, or maybe it's a grandparent. Hmm. And they ask them about parenting, you know, hmm. when they knew they wanted to be a parent, what that... <laughs> What was scary about that? What's been hard about that? What's been their joy, favorite parts? What are some things they might like to have done differently in the past? But just, it's really to connect with, I don't think many teenagers or young kids ask questions to their parents around parenting, right? And so you learn about their their role as a parent, the challenges about it and the, the highlights. And then we oftentimes will have the athlete write like a little bio about their parent. And a thank you. And sometimes that thank you note is just like it's handed to them on the parent appreciation night or day of the match or the game. And other times, like the bio's read and the player parents are honored at halftime of a game for a, a sporting event or before the event or after the event. So parent appreciation week, sometimes they're publicly honored. Sometimes it's just they go home, they've learned more about their parents, they come back, and you spend some time after practice writing a thank you and just saying, hey. Thanks so much. But also have those athletes go around and share. If you don't do something public where they're writing that, we have the athletes share with each other what they learned and what they appreciate about their parents. And so it's this kind of communal gathering and appreciation of the things they do do for them. Yeah, that's that's really fantastic. In terms of um inner work um, for the coach. Um, I was wondering like, what exactly does this entail? Cause you know, a lot of times we don't think about like ways to improve ourselves, but we, we should always be doing that. So um, yeah, talk about like the, the aspect of inner work. I think one big thing that I find frustrating cause I work in coach development, right? So I, I'm a leadership coach, do the one-on-one coaching with a lot of coaches and I get to have a lot of conversations with coaches as well as through my speaking and traveling. I get to hear a lot of coaches' complaints, right? <laughs> and parents are the number one thing. I'll just be honest, right? They're the number one thing. Except sometimes I watch coaches and I'm going, man, I think the parents do have something to complain about. <laughs> you know, like I think the way that you act, I think the way that you treat your players, or I think that those certain behaviors or your lack of communication your lack of gratitude for what the parents are doing to support the program or support their kids. Like mm. I think at the end of the day, like we as coaches have to be, you, you can't be a jerk to kids. You can't, you can't do be a bully to kids. You, you need to communicate. You need to try to work proactively to uh, support these parents efforts outside of just coming in and running a good practice. Right. So, I, I see a lot of coaches that feel that they don't have to communicate to the parents or the athletes their decisions. They just make decisions and want a blind acceptance. They're still in this authoritarian um, kind of dictatorship model of coaching. And that just isn't going to be received well. And so parents like I myself would be like, I don't really necessarily know if I want my son or daughter playing for this type of coach. And I, knowing coaches well, would probably <laughs> might in those types of situations 
you know, not engage a coach that I don't have a relationship with, but I would just probably move my child if I felt like it wasn't the most healthy environment and they couldn't get at least some learning out of the experience. You know, that's a whole other topic there. But I mean, I just think at the end of the day, like coaches need to be the example. And I always say this, if parents acted the way you did, what would parents look like in your program? You know, Mm. that's just kind of a good reminder for coaches. Yeah, that's a great reminder. Um, you know, as I mentioned, you know, you've uh, written another book as well, The Culture System. And I think that's, you know, going to be great to talk a little bit about that. And while we have some time about, you know, ways to build relationships and raise standards in a team. So uh, I was wondering, you know, as we have so many coaches um, on on the podcast listening here uh, or listening to it, but how about player development plans? I mean, you've got like these performance plans, like for when you're at work and whatnot, but how about player development plans? It's like overall, you know, what are some some important principles when keeping in mind um, for that? Yeah, we actually started shifting the language to call them personal development plans because that's what they're called at Google. Right. And it's, it's about the person, You're developing the whole person. I think the, the, the beauty of personal development plans or PDPs or player improvement plans, PIPs, whatever you want to call them, is that, you know, you do, A, you're documenting what they're working at. But most importantly, they're in the driver's seat. You're a passenger seat. So it's a way for you to sit down and implement these with at least three conversations over the course of a season. Most of my college coaches I work with are doing them monthly, if not biweekly. They have staff sometimes to, to help them with that. But they're saying, hey, what are you, what's important to you? What are your goals for the team, for yourself? What are your aspirations in life, in the sport? Right. So you, you kind of set that overarching. So where do you want to go, essentially? They say, okay, where are you in relation to those goals? And and you ask a lot of questions around where they're at, where do they see themselves needing to grow, right? Um, where do they need to see themselves building on some strengths? So, <clears throat> you know where they want to go. You know where they see themselves. You can share your perspective a little bit on that as well. They say, okay, what are you going to do? What are you committed to doing between to get from where you are to where you want to be? And that question of just where, what are you going to do? What are you committed to doing? And what can we do to support you in getting you from where you are to where you want to be? Now, I think so often we spend so much of our time and energy trying to extrinsically motivate athletes through praise, through fear, through carrots and sticks. When we do this with PDPs, we tap into this mysterious intrinsic motivation, which seems so hard. How do you help someone find motivation than themselves? This is the way is to get them to connect with what's important to them, what their aspirations are, to help them to be aware, self-aware of where they are currently so that they can take ownership to close the gap from where they are to where they want to be. By documenting and then following up with them on a periodic time, potentially sharing those with the parents, that's a game changer because there's a level of support and accountability to what they've said. And there's also a level of transparency with the parents. Parents are like, oh my gosh. This guy's doing so much for my kids. You know, he cares so much about them. He's having these conversations. It's, it's really powerful. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. That's, that's super important there. Um, and one interesting idea too, that you'd, you'd mentioned in there is running a, a leadership council. So how does that kind of work? You know, I, I follow, um, you know, soccer and stuff and I know that they've got like captains and vice captains and uh yeah i mean obviously in, in a lot of different team sports uh so like uh, i don't know if that's the same or like what what exactly is the the concept of a leadership council yeah the, the leadership council is a little bit different than captains you might have captains of a team but with a leadership council the players are electing their representatives people to support them and once the players have elected that then the coach meets with them weekly each person on the leadership council is looking after three or four players on the team. It's a really grew up powerful way to decentralize command. So you allow the leadership council to make decisions around the program and what types of things you'll do, as well as you will be working with the leadership council leaders to look after their units. So they have to serve, support, and connect with the people in their unit. And so you're really... It's a way 
especially today, even if you have all the time in the world as a coach and you're looking after every player, it's giving you another person that's checking in with each player on a weekly basis. And most of us don't have all the time in the world. So you have these people that are elected leaders and they're able to check in, but they're also able to come to you each week in that weekly meeting and talk about issues and focus on solutions and work with you to come up with those solutions. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. How about, you know, the idea of non-negotiables and and co-creating standards? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, every coach needs to have their non-negotiables. I've studied so many great leaders and so many great coaches. And I think one of this is one thing that a lot of great leaders and organizations and coaches have in common is they have around like three, seems to be three, come some cases four, Mm. very clear behavioral standards that are really important for that coach. They're not really broad. They're things like listening. They're things like, you know, being on time. There's things like um, no complaining or, you know, those types of Mm. things. So very clear. Coaches come up with them by thinking about what do I really, really need? Like, what are the three key ingredients for me to be effectively move the program for? That's different than sitting down with your team and saying, hey, how do we want to do things in all the areas of our program? You know, and that's co-creating standards. That's working with Mm -hmm. the athletes and saying, hey, what are the standards here? When we co-create standards, like when we co-create standards with parents, right? We engage them. They're more bought in. They believe them. They know that they're connected to the goals of the team, right? So. That's the power of co-creating standards, you know, but it's important too, I think, for most coaches to have their own non-negotiables. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. You know, you you host uh, a great co- uh, podcast, uh, Coaching Culture, uh, of course. Just wonder if maybe you could talk about like one or two lessons from there, like that you've maybe recently or whenever that, that really have stuck with you that you kind of carry with you every day. I think the thing about podcasts going on seven years now you know, initially you start it because I'm learning and I'm excited to learn. And then you go to a period where like, you know, you kind of hit this lull and yeah. it's like, man, is he, you know, like, you know, I've, I've been fortunate to, to have a good solid listenership for many years, but you, it takes a lot of work. It puts a lot of effort into that. And I, I remember, I think the lesson I've learned in the last year is that just if you want to do something well, you've got to remember and connect with some sort of purpose. And it may be multiple purposes, right? Obviously, from a, it functions from a business perspective, but really connect to the real core purpose that really is most uh, uh, interesting um, or connected to my, my, like what's important to me. One of my core values is curiosity. And so I think I got to a point where I was like, okay, what? My, my podcast, like, what's going to resonate with the most amount of guests? What will get more listens? You know, how do I grow it that way? And I've just taken a step back to just like, what am I most interested about? And I just use that selfishly. And I think actually when you yeah. just follow your own curiosity, other people really, really are attracted to that. So it's taught me to be more curious. It's taught me to ask better questions. Just doing the podcast itself. I think when it comes to the lessons that I've taken from there over the years, I mean, we've had so many great, so many great guests, so many great yeah, you get so many different great guests, great coaches, great leaders. But I think the biggest insights, I can't say, well, this is the one takeaway or the one thing, but the biggest insights have been when me and my co-host have said, hey, let's take this topic and let's figure out what we really believe around this. Let's study it, let's mm-hmm. research it, and let's put together something. And so I read a lot. I read about a book a week. And so to sit down and take a topic around playing time or take a topic around our sense of self or you know where we get that from or around our ego or confidence and like to take that topic and really unpack it and share that with coaches and requires powerful learning and so i think there's there's great value in teaching things to other people as well too yeah that's wonderful and it's so funny um you know looking at your podcast and mine you know you you put out 330 episodes and I've put out 336 and um, we both started around the same time too. So that's uh, pretty cool actually. There you go. <laughs> yeah, that is awesome. Yeah. yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. Yeah. Talk to us too, um, uh, JP, about TOC con- uh, Culture Consulting. I mean, you're obviously the founder of that. So yeah, just tell us like what what's that all about and like the services you're providing there. Yeah. So I mean, 
as people listeners have probably caught on, like I was a coach for years and basketball coach, coached internationally, Ireland, Lithuania, the US. And, you know, around my time in the US coaching, I was coaching high school basketball and I was a teacher there in Tennessee. And I went through a real low point in my culture and with my leadership. I had done the character curriculums. I had tried all the team building activities. I just didn't feel like I was getting through the kids the way I wanted. I wasn't having the impact that I wanted to have. Mm. So I eventually I hired a leadership coach and I kind of stumbled into it. I read this guy's book and, you know, a guy, a great guy named Jamie Gilbert. And uh, he had written a book called Burn Your Goals. And I read that and reached out to him. And I was like, he told me what he did, that he would do one-on-one support for, for coaches and help them. Hmm. said, I'm in, you know? And, and so I went with it and man, that was the most transformational thing in my life. Right. And, um, so anyways, I, I, it's not just transformational for my coaching, but it changed my teaching. It changed my parenting. It changed everything I do. And, um, started reading like a book a week. I started studying culture, started studying leadership. I was really committed to personal growth and I have been for the last seven years, eight years. And so that journey on that personal growth journey with my leadership, he encouraged me to start writing and I wrote a blog and blog led to a podcast and a podcast led to me saying, Hey, maybe I can go do what Jamie does for other people. And so eventually I got ICF certified as a leadership executive leadership coach. And now I spend my time as in with TOC one-on-one coaching for leaders in sports, a wide variety of sports, wide, wide, wide variety of sports, as well as some in the corporate world right? By working with people there and, and leadership, do the one-on-one coaching. And I also go in and I do observations of practices and coaches and give them feedback and meet with players, meet with leaders, meet with potentially parents if the parents are involved. So I do some facilitation as well to help the team grow closer together. And they obviously do some speaking around some of my books and my, my, my tools that I provide for coaches. But the core of what I do is, is the one-on-one support for coaches. And then I try to really try to build out tools that help to shortchange this very difficult process of building relationships and building culture and impacting athletes because not everybody needs to or has the time to read a, a book a week or interview hundreds of people over the last few years, you know? And so it's just trying to help share my learnings with others. Yeah, that's, that's really wonderful. Um, big kudos on that. You're providing a great service, obviously. Yeah, I mean, one book a week, that's pretty pretty dang good. I was curious, like, what your process is for that. Do you have a set time, like, you know, every day or something in the morning that you do that? Or, like, how do you, how do, you do that? <laughs> yeah, so, like, you know, I, I say it's probably, like, on average, it's a book a week, you know? So, yeah, sometimes sure. you know, I'll read, like, two or three books at a time, a lot of times. So, I have different books for different buckets. I always think it's really important for coaches is like you're reading the right book for what you need. So yeah. not everybody, you know, sometimes like you're in, in a season, you need to be things that are just reaffirming you mostly of your principles. When you're out of season or you got some downtime, you want to reevaluate things. And a book like my cult, the book, the culture system is great at that time. But like reading that in the middle of the season would be like, oh my gosh, I have all these things I want to do. But like, you can't really mm-hmm. kind of implement many of them in the middle of the seasons. Right. So, um, Timing of your books is really important. I mean, I read in the morning, probably anywhere between 15 and 30 minutes. And then I'll, um, I've got, always got an audio book that I'll always be doing as well. Uh, that's more biography type thing. Um, won't take a lot of notes, whereas the other stuff that I read in the morning and the evenings is more heavy note taking. So it'll always be a physical copy of a book and occasionally an ebook. So I don't just read them. I take a lot of notes and then I go back and I type up my notes afterwards and, and create a lot of articles, blogs, different things like that, find different ways to share them and reteach these ideas to others. That's really wonderful. That's awesome. Um, JP, I always ask this question to my guests. So what is one key takeaway or, or maybe actually let's convert that to what is one key action step that you know, you want our audience to take after um, listening to the show today? Yeah. I mean, buy my book. <laughs> would be awesome. No, I'm just, we'll link to that. I'm just joking. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm, just, I'm just joking on that. I, I think the, the biggest thing is to reflect. If you're a parent, if you're a coach, right, maybe you're both of those, is 
to sit back and take some time to reflect reflect on maybe these these questions I, I'd give give coaches and parents today. Just like, who am I today? Who am I today as a coach, as a parent? Maybe ask other people how they might describe them, you know? And start with that question. But as you're, there really is an important piece is that comma today, right? Today, because we can change and we can grow. Yeah. And, and then this looking, just say, say, who do I want to become in this next stage of my life? And, and, and one of the powerful ways is to go around to some important people, a spouse, a partner, assistant coaches, players. What changes or growth would you in, like to encourage in me moving forward in this, this next season? And so I think that, you know, it's not just asking those questions yourself. It's asking those questions to other people in those, those shapes and fashions. But that's where I really would like to encourage people. And, and maybe you do need to focus a little more on your leadership. Maybe you do need to focus more on the culture. Maybe you, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't know what the action step outside of that is, but it's to create time for self-reflection. I think a lot of us spend time thinking about how we want others in the world to be better. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if we spend enough time and enough effort focusing on how we can be better. So if you're a parent, maybe you want your child's coach to be better. Okay. You know, outside of moving clubs, you're not going to change the coach that much. So what can you do? as a parent to better support your kid through a very difficult coach? What can you do to support your child <clears throat> to give them the skills they need to be able to handle bad leaders the rest of their life? And if you're a coach and you got parent problems, just like, okay, you know, there's only so much you can do to change others. So what can you do to more effectively connect with kids, to connect with parents, to build those relationships. And I think th those are the types of reflections that I would encourage every listener of this podcast to do. Yeah, reflecting uh, is, is so key, so important. Um, I need to do more of that myself. <laughs> JP, uh, great stuff today. I was wondering if there's any particular, you know, websites or like social media handles, anything you want to shout out for the audience to check out. And we'll, of course, um, include those, you know, links to those um, in the show notes. Yeah, absolutely. I. You know, there's everyone has different places they like to find people. I mean, you can go straight to my website, tocculture.com. You can go to Instagram at tocculture. You go to my Twitter at jpnerbun. Uh, I am on TikTok. I don't know what it is. My assistant puts it up there. So I have never even uh, looked at that. But, um, you know, my, my emails on, on my website as well. My books are on Amazon, Apple Books, Audible the sports parent solution and the culture system. So uh, some people don't like to reach out. They just want to go read, read the books. But um, mm -hmm. I also do, you know, I do the one-on-one -on -one coaching. So feel free to, to reach out if that's of interest to you uh, as well. Awesome, JP. Well, uh, I want to really thank you for coming on to the podcast. Um, definitely a lot of enlightening, um, you know, strategies and steps that we can take to, um, you know, better you know ourselves and our relationships, um, you know, between coaches and parents and just, uh, teams as well to help them thrive so thanks again for coming on um all the best and yeah hope to connect again soon appreciate the opportunity um, to, to be a guest on your podcast and and to share i'm sure this was a bit of a different conversation than what you might usually be having on the on the tennis files but this this was um hopefully a lot of value to your guests yeah most definitely jp thanks a lot and um I'll talk to you soon thank you all right. I really hope that you enjoyed my interview with JP Nurban. JP, thanks a lot for coming on to the show. And we'll have all the links mentioned during the interview in the show notes page. And you can check that out at tennisfiles.com slash podcasts. Or you can uh, just look in your podcast app that you're using to listen to the show and you'll see the links there. And if you got value from the show, I would really appreciate it if you leave a review for the Tennis Files podcast, and you can do that at tennisfiles.com slash Apple Podcasts with an S at the end. You can, of course, leave a review at any app of your choice, but uh, we just find that Apple Podcasts is the biggest mover of the show in terms of visibility and views and whatnot, so that's preferred. But, you know, any platform that you can use to let us know how we're doing uh, is really appreciated. So thank you in advance. Also want to leave you with a quote as I do at the end of every show. And this one is by Robin Sharma. I definitely check his stuff out. And Robin said, small daily improvements over time lead to stunning results. 
So great stuff there, Robin. And um, yeah, I just started actually working, planning on Tennis Summit 2024, which is unbelievably the eighth year of the summit. And if you don't know about that one, it's an online tennis conference that I host every year. I put it all together, you know, contact all the coaches, brainstorm all the topics, etc. So it takes me uh, a few months to <laughs> prepare, you know, but it's definitely worth it. It's a lot of fun and everybody can join and watch. You can watch for free, actually. That'll be in the beginning of April. Uh, usually I do it like maybe later in April, but this year I've got to do it a bit earlier. I've got some tennis tournaments and whatnot, um, the camp to help teach with uh, my friends Gigi and Peter as well. So yeah, really excited about just April in general is going to be really fun. I will keep you updated on that, and I probably have sent a survey out already by then, by the time you listen to this episode, just asking you some of your preferences. So yeah, with that, um, thanks so much for listening. Always appreciate you, your support and uh, your reviews and uh, reaching out and your emails. It's always really cool to hear from you. So yep, I'll see you on the next episode of the Tennis Files Podcast, and have a great one. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files Podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit TennisFiles.com.